Hello, and welcome to Trending Peoria. I'm your host and proud Peoria Unified alumna, Sarah Meredith, and I'm so eager to take you on this journey as we learn more about the importance of public education and the amazing work our staff do every day to ensure every student is prepared to not only meet tomorrow, but to help shape it as well. What's currently trending in Peoria Unified? Creating an engaging and rigorous curriculum that meets the needs of our gifted students. Our gifted education program provides an increasingly comprehensive, challenging K-12 curriculum to meet the needs and enhance the talents of these gifted learners. Peoria Unified is home to two magnet schools that prioritize gifted education, and these include Apache Elementary's Gifted Academy and Copperwoods Center for Differentiated Instruction. Along with these, we also offer pullouts and some other resources for our gifted students at the rest of our elementary schools as well. Today, I am joined by our gifted coordinator, Katie Lukacek, to learn more about how Peoria Unified teachers create engaging lessons that stick with our students throughout their educational career and how we help to serve this very special population of students. Later in the episode, I'm also joined by April Rodriguez, a gifted teacher at Apache Elementary School, to share exactly what that looks like in her classroom and how she sees enhanced student success when deploying these very special resources to help these students. Hello and welcome, Katie. We are so excited to have you here today to talk a little bit about gifted education. To start, can you share a little bit about your role as our gifted coordinator and how you help to support our schools? Of course. Well, first, let me just say thanks for having me. And second, I have to say I have one of the very best jobs, in my opinion. Um, as the gifted coordinator, I, I have many roles that help support the gifted students at PUSD every single day. Um, day to day, my job can vary, which I mean, really, that makes it exciting for me. And, um, you know, every day is a new day. But some of the biggest components of my job as the district gifted coordinator involve things like um, the oversight of gifted testing and the identification of our gifted students. Um, I work with school sites, uh, both admin and teachers alike, to help with assisting um, of the programming that we have going on out there. I communicate with parents uh, almost daily, um, whether they have a question or maybe those who are seeking enrollment in Peoria. Um, you know, I, I answer those phone calls and I'm a liaison with our community. And I manage a team of strategists. Um, and so really my job is working through our educators of our district to meet uh, the needs of our gifted kiddos. And um, we have three gifted strategists that help me support our general education teachers um, who may just have a gifted student or maybe a few gifted students in their classroom, as well as um, our educators who are providing some of our specialized programming. So together, my team and I, we have a we have a really intense focus right now on high quality professional development specific to the needs of gifted learners or gifted students, as well as ongoing support and instructional coaching at the school sites. Um, our our district offers a so rather I would say maybe a continuum of services for gifted students. And so that might look like our gifted resource uh, or what we call pullout, which offers differentiated instruction um, and time with like-minded peers to even our self-contained gifted classrooms, which 
have all students that have, a bit, have, that have been identified as gifted. So really, I mean, my job varies, but it's, it's super exciting to be able to support our students via the educators of our district. Definitely. It's a, one of those positions that every day looks a little bit different um, than the day before. And I know you mentioned that part of your role is helping to identify whether a student falls under um, that gifted title or not. What is gifted education and how do you um, and your team identify which students um, are gifted? All right. Well, this is a big question. I, I mean, I could talk about this all day long, so I'm going to try to break this down into simplistic terms and be concise here, Sarah. Um, but let's tackle what is giftedness. So really, this is kind of hard because there's no universal definition. Um, just as no two kids are exactly alike, the same can be said for no two gifted children being exactly alike, right? So mm -hmm. some professionals define gifted as an intelligence test score above 130. Um, maybe students having two or more standard deviations above the norm on, a, on an aptitude test, or even being in that top two and a half percent when compared to their peers. Others define giftedness or being gifted as a scholastic achievement where, you know, kids are working at two or more grade levels above their age range or their like-minded peer or their peers at their age level. But really, um, you know, gifted children are students whose abilities, their talents or poten potential are so outstanding that they require special provisions to meet their educational needs. And so really they do, these students do tend to be the top three to 5% of their age group um, based on their specific areas of giftedness. So if I have to simplistically break this down, gifted education is simply education that's designed and implemented in a way that meets the specific needs of students who have been identified as gifted. So, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, and well, you bring up a good point is, um, there's different areas students could be gifted in. So you could be a really gifted math student, but not necessarily um, qualify as that in like ELA, where you might not be as strong in those subject areas. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, so really we um, identify, uh, you segue into this perfectly, we identify students using, we have a menu of different state approved assessments, but in PUSC, we primarily use um, our state approved COGAT assessment, which is short for the cognitive abilities test. Um, and, and we follow our state guidelines to qualify students in these areas. And so like you said, um, they have to score in the 97th percentile or higher in one of three domains, um, which is the verbal, which is kind of um, kind of like that literary, the reading type thing, but it's not a reading test. Uh, quantitative is our math domain, and then the nonverbal is kind of spatial or figural. So you can be gifted in one of these areas. You could be gifted in all of these areas, um, but really that's how we find students to be eligible um, for gifted services. And this breaks it down nicely so that teachers um, kind of no areas of strength. Um, we know that gifted kiddos, um, no matter what their area of strength, tend to need less encounters with information. Um, but it's it's really super exciting that um, we can gather this information, kind of look inside the learner the best we can, right? We don't have MRI imaging or anything like that in schools, but this can help us um, know how students learn and meet their needs. And really, we have an exciting way um, that we've implemented recently using the COGAT as a screener for all second graders in our district. So 
again, this is uh, fairly new to our district, but I find this to be incredibly exciting because um, we, we're a screener kind of nets and catches all students. So if we have someone who maybe is on the quieter side or teachers just haven't gotten to know them yet, or maybe someone who has um, a language or a learning uh, difficulty, it does not mean that they uh, aren't gifted or cannot be gifted. And this um, screener can help net and ensure we're catching all of those students out there and meeting all of their instructional and learning needs. That's amazing. And I think it, it, you bring up a good point with that too, is it, I think when someone thinks of a gifted student, there's a very strong archetype of what kind of pops in their head and what they think gifted looks like. Um, but that's not always the case. Sometimes it is. It's that really quiet kid who would rather just continue to read their book instead of starting to work on maybe their math homework or things like that. Um, and it it shows up differently in every student um, just because every student has different needs and is unique in the way that they learn and absorb that information. Um, when you look inside a gifted classroom, what does a lesson look like? I know it probably looks a little bit different than um, some of our regular ed classrooms, but when you're going in, what are some of the key things you're looking for in those gifted classrooms? This is a great question. Um, really, what's good for gifted is good for all. So we want to see um, engaging uh, and rigorous things going on in all of our classrooms. Um, in our self-contained classrooms, it might look slightly different just because all of the students in that classroom have been identified as gifted. So um, they might be grouped differently. They might be uh, able to go a little bit deeper and extend because we know that sometimes, most times our gifted kiddos need less exposures than their typical peers. So it might look different there, but really in all classrooms, um, whether a self-contained or a gen ed classroom, no matter where students are at or if they're gifted or not, we need to see um, engaging lessons. Um, and really that might look like uh, physically, we, we would see ongoing engagement through that lesson. We would see teacher directing questions and activities to all students and holding all those students accountable. And we would want to see students having um, structured interactions with one another. But beyond that, um, what I, what we want to see um, is that cognitive or brain piece of an engaging classroom or an engaging lesson. And so one of the ways teachers might do this is through their questioning strategies um, and really engaging students in rigorous learning is how we can meet the needs of all of our learners, not just our gifted kiddos. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point. Also, Katie, I feel like a, a misconception is that um, some of the things that you and your instructional coaches and your strategists um, try to give teachers as tools are tools that are meant only for our gifted students who might be either in those pullouts or in the self-contained classes. But in reality, a lot of these best practices apply to all of our teachers. Um, why to you specifically as the gifted coordinator, is it so important that all of our teachers try to have this engaging and rigor rigorous curriculum um, and lesson planning in their classrooms? Well, this is a thing, Sarah. So 
um, most of our gifted students are not in a self-contained program, right? They are in a general ed class setting. And so um, the pullout programming is great, but we know that gifted kids aren't just gifted a couple times a week, right? They are gifted all day, every day. So in our gen ed setting, in our tier, what we call tier one instruction, we need to have that rigor, rigor and the rigorous learning um, for all kids and our gifted kids, of course. Um, and let me just say that rigor or rigorous learning isn't defined by more work or harder work, though. So I think sometimes we kind of don't understand or kind of uh, pigeonhole us uh, ourselves into a corner with what rigor means. And to me, rigor is the, are those learning experiences that are complex, uh, maybe ambiguous or not clear cut, uh, but they don't have a one recall type of answer. Uh, to me, engaging in rigorous learning get students thinking deeply and even really begin to question their assumptions about things that it makes them apply their learning from many areas and it challenges their thinking in new and interesting ways. So again, teachers can do this um, by their questioning um, of students throughout the lesson. So of course they develop and plan a lesson, but how they question um, and, and kind of pose those deeper, higher level questions to get students thinking is a way that they can meet um, not just our gifted kids needs, but all student needs in their room. Yeah, and I, I think you bring up again, a really great point um, that when those lessons are also developed to be a little more rigorous to get students to think through and really um, process what they're learning. Those are the kind of lessons that maybe stick with them a lot longer. I was thinking back, you know, to a lot of my science classrooms growing up, they were a little more rigorous. And so, um, some of the experiments that we did or those activities about how inertia works or energy, I, do not have all of the formulas memorized, but I remember the general like rules of that because they were lessons that were rigorous and they have stuck with me throughout my adult life um, and kind of beyond that one class that I had. Absolutely. I mean, really, if you think about it, engagement, it's imperative for all of us. Um, now, how a teacher differentiates uh, for students might look in different, might look different, excuse me, but the engagement and rigor really is imperative for all the learners in their classroom. So we want all learners thinking at deep levels, just like you did in your science classes. So whether it's science or ELA, we want them to not just simply regurgitate facts or lower level type pieces of information. We want them thinking deeply. We want them questioning, investigating. Um, you know, we work around standards that are given to us. We utilize curriculum that our district has adopted, but really teachers take all that um, and they know their students, um, they know their interests, and they know their abilities. And from there, the beauty of teaching is that art of taking it all together and, and providing that structure for students to think deeply and extend their learning. Definitely. And I think another really um, great example of that, too, especially in Gifted, um, we recently got to talk to April Rodriguez, who she has um, a, her own class that's all Gifted and just 
when the students also take that ownership over what they're learning. And if they have to do a book report and they have to show that they have a mastery in these five ELA standards, um, but then they get to write the book report on their favorite person throughout history or a subject that was really meaningful to them, they're then excited. They have that ownership over what they're learning. They're engaged, but they're also still showing that they have mastery in all five of those ELA standards that they needed to show in their book report. Absolutely. I mean, anytime we can take um, understanding and go more deeply with it or have a connection to it, I mean, really, that's how we positively impact student achievement. Mm -hmm. And you said it has a positive impact when our lessons are more rigorous and when they are more engaging in that way. What differences do we see overall in the achievement, whether it is just a gifted student who is in that pullout or um, in our gen ed classrooms as well that are starting to deploy some of these tactics in their classrooms? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Of course, like this probably is going to be a really silly analogy, but when you think about um, something maybe that you don't like to do and as, a, as an adult, like for me, I think chores might be the bane of my existence, man. I mean, I don't really love doing chores around the house, but when I try to engage myself in things that personally I can connect to um, or go a little deeper, maybe that's putting on some good jams, right? Then I can get it done and it's not just a chore to me. And so I, what I think about in the classroom and um, the art and the skills that teachers have uh, by connecting them, the, their students to that material and going deeper and thinking about those deeper connections and questions, um, it helps the students turn that content from, oh, this is just a chore to, hey, this might be my jam, right? They might want to learn more about something or or go deeper or they make those connections of, wow, this is a lot like, you know, whatever they had maybe learned before. And so without a doubt, when students own it and when they know it so deeply, when they can process it and manipulate that information, inevitably student achievement is going to be high. And we want all of our kids to be thinkers, not just our gifted kids. So, I mean, really rigor is essential for all. Definitely. And Katie, before I let you go, because I know you are getting prepared for some of this gifted testing that we have coming up that you mentioned earlier. Um, is there any misconception that you'd want to share with our community about what this engaging education looks like, what gifted education is, um, or just some of the work that you're doing on behalf of your team? Absolutely. Um, you know, really being gifted doesn't mean that you come to the table already knowing it. Um, it, it does mean that um, you are kind of an outlier compared to peers. Um, you need less exposure. Um, you might have deeper interests um, and can go you know, deeply into things, but it doesn't mean more work or harder work. Um, it means that you don't have as many peers that are like you. And so we need to make sure we find um, your people and people um, that you can connect with and who think like you. So that way um, you, you feel like you have a, a space to belong and um, are safe in your learning environment. So um, really my team and I, um, we are excited. They're, they you know, the strategists are a new part to our gifted team. We're, we're looking at what currently is happening and where we can go next with um, our gifted programming and plans and, and be able to meet the needs of all of our students. So we're just really excited to be here and um, you'd be working with the students of PUSD.
Definitely. And I think you bring up so many great points. Um, a lot of our gifted thinkers, they, they just see the world a little bit differently. And so when they're able to be identified in that way, and then are with like-minded people, you just see how much they're able to flourish in that environment that kind of meets their needs um, as a gifted learner. Absolutely. Thank you again, Katie, for joining us um, and sharing so much about gifted education. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Hello and welcome, April. We are so excited to have you here today talking a little bit about gifted education. To start, can you share a little bit about yourself and then your role over at Apache Elementary School? Of course. Um, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. A little bit about myself. I have been been teaching in the Peoria district for 14 years. Um, I've done my whole teaching career has been here in Peoria and I just love the district. Uh, I have been, I have a K uh, or I'm sorry, a secondary education uh, master's degree. So that means I am good for like sixth grade up and, you know, emphasis on English and gifted learning. And I've taught everything from ninth grade down all the way down I've actually taught into fifth grade. I've taught ELA. I've taught all subjects. And my passion, I guess you could say, would be in gifted learning because I really love those kids. Yeah. And I would imagine having kind of a passion for gifted education and gifted learning is something that um, not everyone has. And it's very unique. Why to you is it so important that you reach that population of students and you have an engaging curriculum in your classroom? So gifted kids are so unique in so many ways. They come to you with so many different backgrounds, so many different uh, strengths and weaknesses, and there's never one kid that is the same. And many, many times gifted kids come to you with other issues as well. We, we always like to call them beautifully twice gifted because they have such a passion for different things. Um, it's really important that we really identify these kids in our district and that we, um, we meet them where they are. You know, gifted kids they just, they strive for knowledge. They want to know more. They want to know why they want to understand and they want to do that in their passion. And it's really important to engage them in the classroom because they get, we don't want them to get bored. And a lot of times gifted kids will get really, really bored. And the, the day, the dumb drum day, you know, just going on and on just doesn't really spark their interest and it doesn't hold their interest and so you need to keep your engagement in the classroom really, really um, high for them because in that way, they can buy into it. I know that when students are more involved, when they are able to take ownership of their learning, their involvement helps them to learn, the concepts are remembered, and they can use them in other areas. I think it's so important to have kids use the concepts they learn and apply them to other areas of their life. Even if it's just a math skill that can be applied somewhere else, it's so important to be able to do that. Um, you know, when we, when we are hands-on in learning, when we're engaged, when our, when our minds are open, uh, it activates parts of the brain that really helps to commit concepts to memory so that they are able to use them again someday. So they're able to be productive citizens as they go along about their life and their passions. 
Yeah. And when you talk about an engaging and rigorous lesson and kind of meeting those students where they are and meeting their needs so that they don't get bored in your classroom, if a parent or a community member were to walk into your classroom, how does that setting look different than maybe our regular education classrooms? Sure. I love having people come in my classroom. Uh, I you know, we rarely sit still. That's one of the biggest things. You can expect to see students working cooperatively, uh, using all types of learning styles. We have, we can stand and work and sit on the floor. And sometimes we're sitting in groups and sometimes we're working individually. And, you know, we use all the types of learning styles, auditory and visual and doing art with our staff. So we are always on the move. I feel kinesthetic movement really helps students to focus. It helps them to, to, again, commit those ideas to memory. When we show and do, I'm really big on hands-on in the classroom and letting the students kind of navigate their learning and moving and thinking and talking are all important skills that students need to have. And you'll find that in my classroom, any given day when you walk in, we could be talking about math. We might be talking about ancient civilizations. We might be talking about comets and how they are in, in the universe and how that applies to everything in our life. And where can we use this? And why is this important? Because gifted kids tend to want to know the why very, very often. And then we take those ideas and we apply them outside of the classroom. So we move around a lot. We do a lot of conversation. We do a lot of learning styles in my classroom. That's really special. And I think too, like you mentioned, when a lesson is more engaging, it's more likely to stick with a student well past when they learn it. And I can even think back to some of the lessons I learned around sixth grade about like how motion and how energy works and creating roller coasters out of PVC and just different things and doing those really hands-on activities that enhanced my learning. and then. As, and as a result, I definitely remember how those things work better than I probably would have just through like rote memorization per se. Absolutely. I, you know, I was lucky enough in my life to have great teachers growing up who did all different kinds of things with me. And, you know, in my day, we didn't have like a gifted class or things like that. So, you know, the teachers really were trying to meet those kids in different ways. And I just remember one one, my one fifth grade teacher who I just adored, she had a reading loft in her room. And I, up until that point, I'd like to read, but I didn't, you know, I just didn't really have, um, hadn't found my little niche, I guess. And just allowing us to go into this loft and pick out a book and choose any book we wanted to do our projects on really helped to develop that in me. And so it's such, a, it's something I bring to my classroom as well. The kids need to want to do it. They need to have a passion for it. So, you know, me telling them, oh, you need to read this book. That's great. And sometimes we have to do that, but it's really important for me to allow them to have choice. And it's been a wonderful thing to see the kids really grab onto that and then take it and run. Yeah. And I mean, to your point too, they're still learning those skills. They're still gaining that literacy. They're still being able to, if they have to write a book report, learn how to analyze it. And they're still learning all of the things, but in a subject manner in a way that they are passionate about. Yes. Yes, they are. I just, an example today, I just had a student come up to me and she's, she's a voracious reader. She just reads everything and she's reading a book right now. It's got like 800 pages in it. 
and she just finished it and she just wanted to tell me all about it. And so having those conversations with kids, you know, that might not be on my lesson plan where I'm, you know, have a conversation with so-and-so about her book, but she came over and we sat down and we talked about her book and she told me all these things and she was able to do this wonderful uh, summarization and tell me all about her book. And she said, can I do a project on it? Absolutely. What do you want to do? And just giving them that choice. You just, it, you can see the fire and passion in their eyes and it's just wonderful. That's amazing. Um, and you mentioned that you teach sixth grade and sixth grade, especially you're on the precipice and kind of already in junior high. What are some of the benefits that you see in your students when they're having this very engaging lesson and they're um, just kind of getting to lead their own education in that way? Well, I'm a firm believer that if students take an ownership again in their learning, then they're more likely to follow through with it. If, if it's something that they come up with and that they can do, uh, then they have more fun with it. They ask way more questions. And typically, if you assign a book report, they're going to probably do a fairly good job. But if you allow them to choose how they present that to you, they're going to go way further than what you probably had an expectation for. So they always exceed your expectations. Um, the benefit is that they do exceed those expectations expectations. They ask more questions. They want to do more. They'll come in and say, can we do this, this, this again, because they really enjoyed it. And so we can always adapt and we, we do that. Um, games, my class is super competitive. And anytime we can make something into a game, they're all over it. And I see that benefit in taking that learning and making it fun, giving them a little competition in the classroom. So they learn how to do that as well. And it allows for more challenging material to seem easy to them. That's great. And um, I'm a lot of that too, I, you're really kind of setting the seeds here in junior high for them to be prepared for high school and beyond. What difference do you see in your students who are in your gifted classes, either when they come to you at the beginning of the school year versus them at the end of the school year, and then even a couple of years down the road once they enter high school? That's a, that's a great question. And, and I, I, you know, this one's interesting to me because the beginning of the year when they come in, uh, especially sixth graders, they really don't know what to expect. Uh, they don't, they don't understand, you know, what's going on in junior high, what can they expect, you know, what can they do? Um, and so they're, they're a little more, I would say they're probably more reserved, a little more quiet, and then they get to know me and then things change drastically from that point. Uh, they look forward to lessons. I can't tell you how many times that about midway through the year, they start getting the, the whole, oh, this is, we're going to do fun stuff. And so they come in and like, what are we doing today? What are we doing today? And they're excited to be here. They don't like to miss school. And if good grief, if I have to have a sub for whatever reason, they're like, no, please don't go because they just really enjoy learning. Um, and they know it's going to be unique. They also know it's going to be pertinent to them and it's going to be um, important to them. They know that their questions are going to be answered. Uh, they know that I'm not going to brush it off. You know, a lot of times in a lesson, I, I believe that good practice, best practice anyway, is you're in the middle of a lesson and you've got a couple kids asking a certain question. It's okay to take the time to really explore that question a little bit more and answer it. They know they're not going to be shut down or brushed off. And so they know that, that they're going to learn more than what might be objective beyond the board. And we're going to keep going and, and, and even allow more learning. 
Um, I think one of the things that I see that goes even beyond my classroom is I have a saying in my room and I call it hashtag the power of yet. And I kind of start instilling that right when they come in and we talk about fixed and growth mindsets all the time. And I say, you just don't know it yet. And then after about a couple of months, they start saying it. They're like, oh yeah, we don't know it yet, but we will. And it's going to be fine. And then I see kids going into seventh grade and eighth grade and even into high school who come back and talk to me or come and see me. And they'll say things, well, I don't know it yet. And then they wink at me and they say, but I'm getting it. And so these things take, they take it with them and they really listen to what you're saying. They'll say it to each other. You know, we're in the middle of a lesson and the kid's having a really difficult time with something. I'll hear a friend go, it's okay. You don't have it yet, but you will. Don't worry. And they just know it. And they know that the yet is going to come. And I think it's really interesting that kids can take that past my classroom and take that into high school with them. And that's something that will go with them all the way through everything, whether they're in um, university or they go to a trade school or they go um, and, you know, work in a job, they can take all of that and apply it in that, in that way. And I just, I love that. I think it's amazing. And it makes me feel good that they're, they're listening to what I'm saying and they're taking it with them. And they're, they're thinking, you know what? Yeah, this might be really, really hard, but I'm okay. And I'm going to get it. I just don't know it yet. And so that's kind of my big, my thing. And, and the kids seem to take with it and they go. That's awesome. I, um, I was going to ask you because a lot of times you hear students who went through a gifted program all the way through elementary school, and then they are on this fast track through honors and AP courses in high school. And um, a lot of times that can lead to a little bit of a burnout that those students yeah. experience. But I, I think that mindset that you just even spoke about, about having a growth mindset and having that, the power of yet. And I, I know I'm going to get it, but I just don't know it now. And that's okay. I think that gives them kind of that grace that they need to maybe avoid some of that burnout. Have you noticed that in oh, some of your students? Absolutely. It, it allows them that period to learn. And I always tell students, we learn at our own pace. And some of you might get this in five minutes and some of you might not get it for five days. And some of you might not even get it for a couple of weeks. And that's okay because everybody learns at their own pace and it's okay to learn at a slower pace than someone else because there's gonna be another lesson somewhere that you're gonna get really fast and someone else isn't. And so really valuing each other and how each other learns as well, I think is really important because it, it shows the differences in people and it gives them that opportunity to give grace to someone else as well, which I think is a huge skill that kids need to have anyway. Definitely. I know, um, you know, throughout when I, when I think back, especially in junior high and high school, um, I think one of the best gifts my teachers ever gave me, especially in like our science classes, um, was putting us in groups and each person in the group had a different role. So one person was kind of supposed to be the lead for the group. And one person was note-taking and one person was doing another task and just kind of figuring out what everyone's strengths were. It helped me to really learn those skills of, oh, I can rely on someone else to help me with this and that, even if I don't get it right away, or I'm not the best at maybe writing this book report or this essay, someone else on my team is a really good writer, but I'm really, really strong in math or whatever that might be in that situation for those kids. Yeah, it's, 
it's so wonderful to see kids recognizing their own talents and recognizing where they excel and where they might need a little bit more help and being okay with that and understanding that, you know, you're not going to be perfect at everything. And I always talk about failure as being, it's not really a failing, it's your first attempt in learning and we don't fail. And everybody has to have those moments where they don't get it. And then they continue to learn and they continue to move forward. And again, that's all about growth mindset and knowing that, you know, I can't do it yet. And we're all talented in different ways. So I'm really glad you said that part about it's a really great first attempt because I have been known more than once to when someone is trying something for the first time, or it's just not quite landing where maybe my expectations are because everyone has expectations that are different. I'm like, that's a really great first attempt. And people sometimes take it as like, but it's, it's that great first attempt. And I think in anything, especially um, as kids are transitioning from high school and into college and into these things that they've never done before, it is okay to have just a really great first attempt at something as long as your next attempt is better. Right. Um, and you've learned something from that also. Um, I am sure in your gifted classrooms there and classes, there's times where you have these really engaging lessons and then other times where you might have to have um, a more traditional lesson per se and kind of for lack of a better term. H- how do you balance that with your kids yeah. and still keep them engaged in what you're teaching? Yeah, I that is a, that's a great question. And it is something I actually talk to my students about. We, you know, I'm, I'm up front with them and I say, you know, we're, we're going to learn in really fun ways. And sometimes it might not be as fun for you, but it might work for somebody else. And I always attribute that to that. We all learn in a variety of ways. And I try to balance all of that so that all learning styles and all the ways that kids learn are somehow incorporated into lessons. Some kids learn really well, by someone talking to them. Some kids learn really well by doing. Some kids learn really well by reading something and then doing something with that information. So there's a lot of different ways. And I always tell the kids, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun in here, but every day is not going to be a party, but every day you're going to learn valuable things. And I tell them that, you know, even if you might not exactly like the way we're doing it now, just remember that eventually we're going to be able to take this information and apply it and, and it will look different to you. So, and they, you know, they're really good about it. Kids are so um, understanding and they're so resilient and they realize that, you know, the whole world isn't going to entertain them 24 seven and they feel like they're being entertained in here, but you know, what they don't really understand is they're doing all all this wonderful work and this critical thinking. And even when the lesson maybe doesn't include a game or something that they love, they're able to continually learn in different ways. And so they know that, oh, you know, so-and-so really likes to learn this way. And so-and-so likes to learn this way. And sometimes we need to do things for other people because it's not just all about us all the time. And so I, I'm really straightforward with them. I talk to them about it. Um, I'll make sure that they have some activity to help them understand. Achievement is always really important to me. And I always tell the kids, I'm not looking for you to get hundred percent. I'm not looking for you to get an A. I'm looking for you to get better so that you're making progress. And I think progress is a huge thing. And so we, we really focus on looking at the progress of everything we do, no matter how we get there. 
Yeah. And I think, um, again, to kind of that point we brought up about gifted burnout for, I mean, totally lack of a better term is just having that mindset of, I don't have to do this perfectly, which I know a lot of those gifted kids, that is kind of how their brain is programmed. It It is not perfect. It's not good. Um, but that's not the case at all. They're still learning and they're mastering all of these really big concepts that will follow them throughout high school or trade school or college. And, um, they're just, they're figuring out and processing through a lot of those really big things. And, and as long as they can see that process for themselves, that's what really matters. Um, I am sure also when someone walks into your classroom, it might not look like a traditional classroom <laughs> at times when you're playing games yeah. um, or doing an experiment or whatever it is you might be doing. Do you notice that there is a difference in your classroom management and um, and kind of the behavior of your students when they are engaged and they're up and they're moving around and things like that versus maybe a day when it is a more traditional lesson? Correct. You know, interesting that you, that we talk about this because I think in order for the classroom management and how the things kind of work, the key is a relationship and it's so important for students to feel valued and heard and respected. And I am, I'm, it's a two-way street in here. You know, they, they know that I'm going to respect them. I'm going to value their time. I'm going to value everything about them. And in turn, I have that expectation for them. And I, you know, I spend a lot of time at the beginning of the year, you know, talking through what, what does a lesson look like? If you are doing things on your own, what should that look like? You have to teach kids what it looks like to learn. They have to understand that, okay, if I'm working in a group, this is what that looks like. And these are the conversations I should be having. When you have kids working independently, they need to know what my expectation is. And so very, very, you know, straightforward black and white expectations are really important. And I noticed that the management piece is is really non-existent. I, I don't have a lot of problem with this because kids They love to be given the ownership of it. You know, if I have an issue, it's so fun because I have kids and I'll be like, you know, was that a great idea? And, And they'll look at me and they're like, you know, it wasn't. And so we talk about it and we really, we break it down. Well, why did that happen? You know, why did we do this? Why did we do that? And, and they're able to reflect and then reprogram themselves to kind of go with what they need to do. I think it's really, um, a fun way to have kids help you make procedures and the way they see a classroom run. Because if they tell you uh, we should raise our hand or we should do this or we should do that, if they come up with those things with you, then they're more apt to follow them and do them because they take ownership in them. Oh yes, I remember. And especially, I think it's a very, junior high is a very unique age for anyone going through junior high um, and all the wonderful things that go along with that. But I had a teacher who she, every year we had like a classroom contract that the first week we would put it together as a class of these are our expectations. These are our norms. This is, this is what I expect myself to do. This is what I expect a classmate to do. And, um, 
we were very good at holding each other accountable to that yeah, classroom yeah. contract because we all made it and the ownership wasn't on our teacher. It was on all of us. And I think, um, especially being in that junior high age range, um, it really kind of taught us to be responsible and hold our friends to the same expectations we hold for ourselves and navigate a lot of that as well. Yeah. I, you know, I just, that, that made me think about one of the first things in the beginning of the year, I, I really have three, three things in our classroom that we come up with. Usually it's be productive, uh, be responsible and um, be respectful. That, that's really it. But what we do at the beginning of the year is we put those on great big papers and I give them sticky notes. I'm like, okay, you have all these things, but what does that mean? What does that really look like? And I have them write down, okay, well, being responsible looks like this. And they write it down and then they stick all these sticky notes on it. And then we do kind of a museum walk and we walk around and we read all the sticky notes and we talk about, does this belong here? Does that belong there? You know, what, what happens in this situation? And I think it gives them so much power in the classroom. And when kids feel like they have power and they have control over their learning, they they just fall in and they just, they just love it. And they just do what they need to do. Definitely. Um, April, thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us talking a little bit about your classroom and just all of the ways you help to support those students who fall um, into that gifted category. Before I let you go, is there anything else you want to share with our community or any of our parents that may be listening about what gifted education is for you or just kind of some of the work that you're doing to help serve these students? Yeah, I think, you know, parents, um, when you have a gifted child, it's important for parents to understand and to learn about what it means to be gifted. I think it's really important for the kids to understand what it means to be gifted. And, you know, we all know that gifted kids tend to be very, very smart, but at the same time, it's not just about, you know, the intellectual part. It's about how they react to things. It's about how they, um, navigate through even just friendships or social situations, or it's all different. Their brains are wired, brains are wired differently, you know, and brains, their brain uh, takes things in differently and how they, their output can be very, very different. And so one of the things that I like to do is I constantly um, go through and read current things about you know, um, gifted learning and gifted kids. And I try to go to as many, you know, professional developments that I can that talk about giftedness because it changes frequently and not every gifted kid you meet is going to be exactly the same. And so while I've been doing this for a long time, there's going to be that kid next year that's going to be in my classroom and they're not going to be the same as anything I've ever seen before. And so it's just a constant learning. And I would highly recommend parents to do the research and look up things and figure out and go to classes or whatever they need to kind of help understand their gifted child because it, it's a whole thing. They're not just gifted in school. You know, they're mm -hmm. gifted outside of school too. And so how does that look in your, in your house or how does that look in your family? So Definitely. that's what I would say. Yeah, my nephew is gifted and I am always in awe of just the way that he sees the world and yeah. some of the things that come out of his mouth I there maybe go a little bit over my head even <laughs> um but that's just it's just how they see the world they see it just on a little bit of a different axis than the rest they do. of us they absolutely do well 
April, thank you again so much for joining us um, and sharing a little bit about gifted education and the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking about this. It's a passion of mine, so thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Trending Peoria. As always, you can learn more about the programs we spoke about in this episode at peoriaunified.org slash trendingpeoria. If you liked what you heard, please rate us, leave a review, and check out our companion podcast, The Progress Report, which comes out quarterly. Trending Peoria is made possible with the support of the Peoria Unified School District's communications team, comprised of Danielle Airy, Aaron Dunsey, Jacob Stanek, Natalie Zenobiev, and our producer, David Colley, and host, Sarah Meredith.